welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Holy shit. Uh, Since the last batch of recordings that I was putting together to now, the world has changed a bit. Maybe you've noticed. I'm not going to talk too much about the you-know-what because I'm tired of hearing about it and I'm sure you are too. Let's just take a little break and get that out of our minds for the duration of the show. But all that said, just first and foremost, I do want to say I love you all, and I hope you are taking care of yourselves and taking care of each other. Now is the time for us to uh, just put our differences aside and take care of our fellow man. So, let's do that. That said, what is up? Welcome to another episode of In The Keep. I am super stoked about this one. do want to say all the usual thanks, but I'm not going to list everything off as usual. But hey, make sure you're going and checking out inthekeep.com. It's got links to all our shit. You can buy our merch and all that stuff. You could become a supporter of whatever kind you want if you'd like to. If not, whatevs. But most of all, thank you to everyone who does support the show. And that's not just monetarily. That is also like... Just being a patron of the arts, liking, subscribing, sharing, telling people, putting it on your blog, whatever the fuck, it doesn't matter, however you do it, run down the streets screaming, Cathala, I don't care, whatever you have to do to help out by just getting the word out there, because that's the main thing that, you know, like independent content creators struggle with, in my opinion, I'll probably do a whole podcast, I think I'll do one eventually, just about that particular thing, like, the hardest thing for any independent content creator to do is get in front of people to get their material out there. So all I'm saying is the most important thing you can do is just, you know, listen to the show and also tell other people about the show. That's the best way to support. And I really, really appreciate everyone who does that. We all do. Everybody who works on the show. It's not just me. I'm just the guy with the microphone today. But, oh, this is such a cool episode, guys. Um, got to, a chance to finally sit down with Big Eye Guy and get to catch up and everything. If you don't know who he is, he is the proprietor of Arena Israel. He and I met at QuakeCon 2019 and just hit it off. Been talking a little bit ever since. Like finally, like hey, let's do a podcast. We actually did a podcast and then had to delete it because uh, we were. Both not happy with the way it turned out, but it's it's a good thing because we actually, on the day that we decided to sit down and do this, who happened to be at Big Guy's house? None other than No I.L. And if you guys don't know him, Noel, however you want to say it, just know. He is an old school, like, Quake Live top level competitor. And I didn't even know any of this heading into the conversation. I was just like, hey, who the fuck is this guy? We got to sit down. We got to play a little diabolical together, get warmed up. We get a feel for each other and everything on the three of us. And then sit down and have this amazing chat. Really enjoyed it. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, Arena Israel, what their plans are, the state of, I think this was recorded right after Diabotical hit closed beta. So like they were just seeing it for the first time. And everything to do with 
just in general, like what can we expect? What's up, gamers? Point of view about it. We get to talk with Big Eye Guy about his stuff because on top of all this other crap I'm throwing at you, he's also a game developer who's specialized in like different mobile titles. And we we talk pretty in depth, I think, about the whole mobile gaming scene and what we can learn from it and take away from that and bring back to our little niche PC uh what's the word I'm looking for bubble that we live in and I really enjoyed uh, having the opportunity to get out of that and get some new perspective also going to talk about slot machines but I'll let you guys just catch that in the conversation anyways the music you're going to hear is by Igrak Simon. Glad to have some of his stuff back on the show. I'm a big fan of his. Go check him out on YouTube. But anyways, y'all, please enjoy the tunes. Let's stay safe. Let's take care of each other. And let's get in the keep with No Ill and Big Eye Guy. community as no ill or no il or it's been pronounced the various different ways uh i used to play quake live very actively uh quite competitively between well i started with quake 3 started playing that around 2008 and i was playing very actively until about 2013 and since then i've just you know i don't really have a good internet connection at home now but Whenever I get a chance to play with some friends, that's usually what I do. And nowadays, um, I work, I do content arbitrage. That's a big word. Yeah. My name is uh, Yotam, known as Big Guy Guy or Beg. 
as a short. Uh, I kind of run a thing called Arena Israel, which is a place for all Arena FPS uh, Israel players uh, to gather. I'll maybe tell more how that started later. I'm a game designer. I work at like a just game studio making mobile games. Worked in some in the past. I just joined one recently. And we're doing like a, a year and a half project, really trying to nail a, a good casual mobile game, which is a, a, sort of like a new thing here. So I find the, the mobile thing, I think we talked about this bit recently, but like just the whole genre itself is so insane to me because it's the most popular thing in the world. Like everybody has a cell phone and most people play games on their phones, including like old grandmas and everything. It's like a new... It's not even including them. It's them including you. You are, you are the add-on to the real yeah. players who are the, the grandmas, the mothers, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's 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 really massive and uh, uh, Israeli people being the startup nation and you know trying to uh, always do something business wise. Uh, it's the market grew so much that people here couldn't ignore it. Yeah. So what like what types of games are you actually working on? Like what are you trying to create exactly genre wise? Right now we're doing. Um, I'm working with a company called Jelly Button. They did games like uh, Pirate Kings and Board Kings, uh, which is kind of like uh, you have a base. I'll, I'll make it really like short because there's not a lot to get into it. It's a really simple game. In short, it's min- I call it mingle up. It's basically you have sort of so, some sort of a base. You build stuff. You progress. You have some sort of a mechanism based on luck, either a wheel or uh, something of that nature, uh, dice. And uh, you can attack other players, and they can attack you. That's the gist of it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's just like it's interesting because it it kind of changes the way people think about how you can play games. Just having the touch screen in general, like watching it over the past several years, like kind of develop as a genre. Is you know things like Candy Crush or like super popular or Angry Birds, and then you're starting to see people really take advantage of the the touch screen in the gameplay or uh copying apps like if you saw that game i believe it's called reigns where it's like a tinder app it it functions like a tinder app swipe left or right kingdom uh, uh, ruler sort of thing yeah it's like a super simple version of civilization but yeah it's all you do is swipe left or right you you hit it right on the head yeah it's it's you get the same experience basically in Mm -hmm. what you're able to do with a mobile game you get the same experience because if, if you're playing a mobile game, and, and think of Reigns, for example, yeah, it's, it's, it's vertical. It's not horizontal. It's for, you hold it in one hand, yeah. and you just play it uh, as you go along with your business. It, it really ties into what you say, like using the platform. Because you don't want a player on the mobile that's just you know, on his way to work to now play Civilization with the skill trees and all that. He just wants to feel like he's ruling a kingdom, feel like he's steering a civilization. And that game achieves that in a wonderful way. Yeah. And then there are other genres that, at, at least as of right now, just plain simple, do not work on you know a phone without some sort of modification to it, which most people realistically are not trying to turn their phone into a gaming system. They just want to have games that are convenient to go, as you said, like on the fly. You know, while they're sitting on the couch, while they're on the bus right. going to work or anything. That, that's one aspect of mobile games. I just spent a month 
around my little brother who's 20, 22. And uh, him and his friends are in this magical period called between the army and the next thing. It's basically, you finish with the army and you, you have no obligations. You know, you're not out of college that you need to go get a job. You just went through the army. And so it's basically they can do whatever they want. And they sit around and they all have their phones out and they're playing Call of Duty together, multiplayer. <laughs> Uh, um, and that's something really common, by the way. I, I, PUBG really did well like on mobile. I don't think really we know what the boundaries is of, of mobile gaming still. It's just going to keep growing. I think you're right. We're just going to continue to see it evolve over time. Like we're, we're in the twilight of it. It feels like it's almost hard for me to remember like where the line is before I saw people doing it. But now mm. as I get, you know, as, as we get, further and further into it i think about the years that have gone by and it's like it hasn't been that long it can't have been that long this has happened in the you know since i was a teenager into my early adulthood and it we're only at the very early brink of this it, and who knows like before long we might even not are we even going to have cell phones are we going to have just like an implant in our eyeball or whatever that we just we're call gonna people? have something that's the bottom line yeah. <laughs> we're going to play games no matter what they do we're going to find a way to make games out of everything uh, I wanted to ask a question, Yotam. I noticed, I'm not big very into mobile gaming, but I've noticed online that, like, people... Uh, okay. <laughs> but I noticed online, like, a lot of uh, gamers have this antagonism towards mobile games, like so-called, like, hardcore gamers or PC gamers or, you know, console gamers. And I was just wondering what's your take on it and what where it comes from and, you know, if it's actually an obstacle for the mobile gaming industry? Overall, it's not a bad move to make a mobile game if you're a big company. It's, but it's just how you uh, present it, I okay. think, and how you know, meet the expectation. First of all, gaming audience is, is very harsh, I think. It can really, you know, he goes on both ends, uh, really far into loving and really embracing the product and making it part of his life, i.e. new blood and all, everything with dusk and all that. And he's really all, you know, all the way to the right can really like take you down if you do a bad move. And I think companies like Blizzard with Diablo, if that was an added thing to an, a PC game, it would have been like a smash hit. But the way, the, they were so out of touch. It's that what got people railing, I think. But it's not a bad move to make a mobile game as a big company. It's actually yeah. the smart move right now. Well, they're like, why? Why did Bethesda have to make a Commander Keen mobile game? You know, that's that was like a big. Do, do you even have any idea who your audience is for that? You know, for Commander Keen, and and a, good on them for attempting it. And obviously, it's a, there's a market for mobile games, but like anything but take Commander Keen and turn it into this silly cartoon that you know. Yeah, the people that want to play Commander Keen are the same people who want to play Doom, and they don't want to play Doom on their mobile phone. Yeah. Did you yeah. play Commander King when you were a kid alone? No, honestly, no. Well, I kind of grew up on that thing, it, you know, really loving those games. And I see nothing in this new one. I'm, it's, it's hard to say exactly what, where it was born, of, like what was the catalyst for it. But it was probably, you know, a bit, bunch of business people um, trying to think what's the next thing to work on. And they have a list of IPs. 
And they just, you know, because they can't really think creatively, they just took whatever was there and, and handled it really poorly, I think. And I didn't play the game, but uh, so that's not fair saying. But just from looking at, at, at the game and the gameplay, it's, it's easy to tell that it's, the heart wasn't in it, I think. Yeah. It was a business I, I'm not going to say that I'm like PC Master Race kind of mind. I definitely don't play mobile games at all. Like I will not download one because it's not because I think they suck or like I'm against it fundamentally. It's because I don't want to be playing video games when I'm not at my computer. Like it's kind of the boundary I set for myself. It's like I shouldn't be doing that all day long every day. And I'm glad people do so that you can make a living. <laughs> yeah. But it could also be a gateway to get a lot of people into, you know, um, console or PC gaming, I think, if it's executed right, you know? Well, it's, like, why do you think that? I'm curious, because... Because, um, you know, my mom has a maid. She's been working for her, I think, like 33 years now. And every night to relax she plays bubbles on the computer you know that's like that's her fun that's her fun time and i'm pretty sure she started by playing it on um on mobile and then probably one of her kids downloaded it for a pc for her and um i think basically you get a demographic a demographic that doesn't get to mingle much with gaming and uh, it basically gives you an opening to target this demographic that usually classically would not play uh, video games. And I think that's interesting. And there's a lot of you know possibility regarding what you can do with that. That's definitely interesting. It's something that a big eye guy will have to get into very briefly if you want. But like my grandmother plays slot machines on her phone all the time. Mm. She's obsessed. And yeah. there's no reward to this other than just she, you know, she likes to gamble. Oh, she likes to go down. There's all the rewards in the world. What are you talking about? Slot, <laughs> what are slot, mach- slot machines are magical. Well, it, let's, it's, hear, let's hear it. It's the essence of all the good feelings you get. Most of the good feelings you get in, in games in the, the simplest, dumbest form. Well, well, first of all, what what is your like? Can you kind of just give our audience a brief idea of? Oh yeah, so where I, I'm here. Right, I'm, I work right now in the like more of a casual market, but uh, I started out as a game designer for Slotomania, who uh, they, it's I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, slot uh, mobile game in the world. And I was doing the content, basically the slot machines that you play in the game. That you know, every couple of weeks you get a new slot machine. So I was part of the team, and later on managed the team that uh, creates the slot machines. For uh, a little bit more than two years. And I got to, like, from not understanding slot machines at all to becoming some sort of a, like a player myself and, and really enjoy making them. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, decided to move on from that. <laughs> but it was, it was a fun experience. It's, until you brought it up, I never even considered the idea that somebody who is a game designer, creates slot machines. Every slot machine I've ever seen, somebody sat down and decided every little thing that was going to go on it. They had to do the math or, you know, create the machine. Back in the day, the machinery. Now it's all computer coded. Yeah, uh, yeah and that's what we call it. It's uh, mechanical slots and video slots. Yeah. 
but something about it, like I feel like when it was mechanical, it felt like you know you had a chance. Whereas Fair. something something about it being a computer makes people generally obviously people still do it and that didn't deter them, but it makes people feel like the computer can cheat them more so than the machine could have before. It's so weird. Such yeah, a strange psychological. I yeah. think uh, if I had to draw the analogy to our world, it will be uh, mechanical uh, slot players or maybe like quick world players and, and video slots. <laughs> and like maybe Quake 2 or if you want to go far, maybe Quake, uh, Quake 3. Because, yeah, it, some people like the tactile feeling of the drums spinning. Uh, there's a market for that. Uh, specifically, uh, and the video slots player, I think there's enough of them to, you know grow this industry i think it's like five billion dollars if not more right now the industry in the world but I think say is... Tom, just a quick question people who not physically play slot machines also find themselves downloading and playing slot machine games on mobile yeah uh, more often they play slot machines before but some of them started playing on mobile most of them know what slot machines they touch it somewhere in the casino and then they go to the mobile app some of them uh, first played it uh, on the phone. I think places where you don't get a uh, casino, like Turkey. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they like the slot machine. Going back to the bubbles. Uh, yeah. uh, I was also part of a company that, making a lot of bubble games. And then you get people that don't have computers, a lot of Indians. Like we're going back to what you said about the computer and, and mobile, how you separate the two words. Some people don't have, don't have the computer. All yeah. they have is mobile. So they play whatever there's on uh, the the mobile to play, and if it's slots or bubbles. Yeah, yeah. Biloxi, Mississippi. When I was growing up, you know, it's like an hour away from where we live, and you know that was the big thing. Is like on the weekends, grandparents were going to the boats, and they go down and they gamble all weekend long and come back, and you know, we we our college funds were gone and all that kind of thing, <laughs> but. That, it was such a part of their culture. And so like at home, you know, my grandmother would always have like the, not even before, before cell phones even were popular. She had like little handheld slot machines in the house, like even a mechanical machine. And then later we saw like little digital slot machines that she, she could just press. And then now it's just on her cell phone and she does it all the time or like paints, things like that. So it's a, it's an interesting crossover between like that. That's a multi-generational thing that transitioned into video games. Mm-hmm. This is a game that has been played since the dawn of industry, basically in America. It's or, one of the first, first like uh, genres or uh, whatever games. It, it's been existing no well over a hundred years, well before uh, uh, I don't know any simple things like pong. And and the main thing about it is it, you know it's like the the me- the mechanism, the psychological mechanism is a, a variable re- reward is something yeah. that really pleases us as human is to get something random. So you get that when you um, uh, get loot drops in Diablo or uh, you can get that in slot machines. It's, it's kind of that effect. And, you know, now we have fucking gambling and Counter-Strike and it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, but basically um, boiled down to its essence. It's It's... Strange to me that people play it when there's no money involved. Like, yeah, I get why people sit at the casino and want to pull the lever because you might win some money. But when it's just on your phone, like you're not, you're probably spending money. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're they're not playing to win. The um, I mean, they're not playing. They are playing to win. 
but they they all know that losing is part of it and uh making money in a in a casual game it, it's really like a it's a side thing they're more excited about what's happening right in front of their eyes they they don't care if the money is pixels uh it can be pixels but they like the experience of playing slots you know you, you're not fooling them that they're not going to get money they're there for the slot experience uh, and and yeah just some people just like specifically that um, so, so I have a question. So it's not necessarily about chasing that dopamine rush that you get with gambling on real money. Do you think it's something different that people find attractive about? It's it's that on lower levels. I think playing on, re- on with real money uh, is is different. But you have to understand that the money that they put in the game is real. So mm. you you can't you kind of get that effect. Okay. Okay. So. Let's just start talking about Quake and or in Israel and everything. And most importantly, this past weekend we've been playing through the first, uh, you know, beta weekend of Diabolical. And I just kind of wanted to get everybody's take on like how are we feeling so far. I think so, I can start. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, coming from Quake VQ3 background, it feels very very natural. I think the best thing the game has going for it is that, like, out of the gate, everything... Well, it's kind of, it is a bit buggy still at the moment, but in terms of, like, the game physics and the game mechanics, it all feels, like, top-notch. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever played any other game that, like, straight out of the gate felt so good mechanically to play. And um, I think that's something great. I think aiming in it feels like it takes a bit more um, skill because of maybe the, the different hitboxes. It kind of could take maybe a place as like an aim trainer kind of game. I think that's a good direction. Could maybe try taking. And um, overall, I'm impressed. I mean, this isn't anything uh, groundbreaking, um, you know. Many people have tried to make what people call Quake clones before. But, you know, I do hope that with the two good studio behind it and, you know, the, the Epic um, the epic uh, launcher and, you know, maybe some of their marketing budget behind it, that we could actually have a successful arena first-person shooter. I'm, I'm hopeful at the moment. And further than that, I will say that from what I've tried playing so far, I've very much enjoyed what I've seen. We were playing the other day, and I had Alon here, who's like the best Quake Live player in Israel. Out of like three, yeah. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it, it, you competed on the highest level. That doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. You're probably one of the best Quake Live players, if not the best, but the best Quake Live player. Or Quake 3, I think, is similar enough in duel. Mm. Uh, and earlier, I on the same day, I had um, another friend who was active when we used to play like in land parties but really uh, left arena fps and fps behind and watching them both of them play and how easily they just sat and and everything felt comfortable familiar and natural you know to someone who's uh, i would say on a, on a, maybe a master level and someone who's uh, like a um a low level that sat down and it looked it looked like both of them understood immediately what was going on and that was that was a good sign for me, and uh, uh, 
playing myself. I can. I don't really care about the graphics and everything around it. Uh, they, they did a lot of smart choices there, but just uh, uh, examining how the game feels, and more importantly, uh, this the game design and the thought process that went behind the rules and the modes that they are trying. I have like full confidence in that team, and I know that this game is going to be good for sure. Successful, that depends, but I'm, I'm, if I had to bet, I would bet that it will be uh, pretty successful. A lot of people have said, like, I don't like the aesthetic of the game. I don't like, and we're talking just like hardcore Quake people that are saying that. Other, other than yeah. that, I don't think it matters. I personally, again, if I were going to design my own arena shooter exactly the way I wanted it, I wouldn't pick, you know, cartoony graphics like this i would have something you know with blood and guts just because that's what i like but from a business standpoint it's the number one best thing they could have done just take everything that anybody could anything that would stop a kid from picking up this game and becoming highly interested in it take or or their parents preventing them from doing it take that and throw it out the window and just you know go straight for the target audience here and they've they've done that and i also like something you said earlier uh no is you said it wasn't anything groundbreaking. I think there are a few things that you could consider, if not groundbreaking, at least a, a general shift in the what we're going to see. So, like the way that the dual format is laid out, some of the game modes like Wipeout, I think in general. And by the way, as soon as they announced what Wipeout was, like on their stream, it was mm-hmm. immediately like Warfork. We had it in no time. We just recreated it in Warfork. Oh, but I wow. think that that particular game mode is something really special because the big thing that holds people back from CA, which is probably the most popular thing that we're going to see both with this game, but in general is like, mm-hmm. that's what casual players like to play mm-hmm. crazy that we just now are getting that in quake champions, but Hey, whatever. Yeah. But I feel like the, the dot dying and then sitting there and waiting. That's something we also see in other team games like, you know, CSGO or whatever, like dying. And now I'm dead yeah. and I just have to wait sucks nobody likes that nobody wants to just sit there and spend most of their gaming time especially not arena shooter players they don't want to just sit there and wait yeah they want to, sure. you know feel involved feel like they can contribute and wipe out i feel like is no pun intended wiping the floor with ca hmm. in my mind i yeah. i agree completely the um uh, sorry to jump in there alone uh, uh, like uh, clan arena is fun uh, it's not suited completely for a fast-paced game like Quake. Uh, that's why it works in CS:GO because everything is tactical and slow. And if you die, uh, you still, you know, you're, you're there. You're helping your friends. You can make callouts. There's no callouts, and everything is going so fast. You can <laughs> die in an instant, and then you sit there. So I really like the wipeout uh, mode and how it's implemented so far. Touching on the aesthetics a little bit is uh, I heard you guys talking before, and yeah, it's it's a business move. It's calculated. They want customization for the eggbots. I'm sure the eggbots will look better. I like them. They work. Yeah. It doesn't matter right now. But the the Overwatch thing that you yeah, said, the HUD for sure. Yeah, everything is Overwatch. The announcer, they're they're trying to bite on the uh, that that tired market. Overwatch is is. You know, really uh, disappointing, I think, is players. And there's a lot of people there that could move over. Uh, and that's a strategy. And, you know, uh, with the, with Epic, there's a chance there that it will really click together. Yeah. Mm. And Epic, crazy as it is, they, you know, 
they've dealt with arena shooters before as a company, like they've dealt with Unreal. And now they have the studio who's willing to just go all the way in on developing it. They're not like, from what I understand, yeah. Epic is pretty much done with UT. I don't think that's ever going to actually go any further than it already has. Yeah. I, I would like to see, and just for the sake of, I know a lot of people feel very passionately about it. I'd like to see that, but it seems like over or this game will kind of just take over everything that had yeah. to do with that in their mind. Yeah. And if they can really implement it correctly, Having a an arena shooter, a high quality arena shooter, free to play on the Epic Store, where kids, you know, go to get, you know, if if I was ten years old and I played, you know, Fortnite or whatever, but I'm always looking for like something that I can get, and your your mom won't let you buy anything, and then oh, here's a free game. It doesn't matter what it is; they'll probably try it out. And if this could be a gateway at all for any young people to get into arena shooters, no matter what happens with Diabolical in the end. This is yeah. a net win for us as a community. For sure. And I think for Epic, well, Yotam, when we were talking yesterday, kind of made this point that it basically it allows them to bring in a slightly older um, audience than they usually get to the Epic Game Store. Because considering probably most of people who, not the Epic Game Store, but the Epic Launcher do it to play Fortnite, um, that basically leaves you with a community of a bunch of kids, right? And I think right. with a game like Diabotical, the target audience is a bit older. And that could actually serve Epic Games very well, allowing them, you know, entry into a slightly um, older player base. Yeah. So here's something that uh, is going to kind of harken back to me when I was trying to say I'm not a master race kind of guy. I, this might make, make me sound like an asshole. But oh, no, no, no. So I downloaded the Epic Launcher a while back to get UT. Mm hmm. Right. But then I felt so dirty for having it on my computer because it's associated <laughs> with Fortnite that I got rid of the launcher. I, like, I don't want this on my PC, and I would I, never have reinstalled it if not for Diabotical. Same, I, dude. Exactly. I spent the whole day yesterday troubleshooting some fucking stupid thing with the Epic Launcher just to get Diabotical. And, yeah. you know, all those free games that they give, I couldn't give a fuck. Really. I, yeah. I, my house is Steam right now. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to move. I'm there. You know, that's, I'm not speaking as, like, uh, uh, I'm speaking as the the customer, you know. I know what's I know what I feel as a customer, and that's exactly uh, I think my, what a lot of people feel. Would and the uh, article felt like a good enough reason for me to uh, uh, install the Epic Launcher again. If I'm voting with my dollar, I just want to open up one app and click on the game I want to play and move on with my life. I don't want to have to like, oh, what launcher are we in, boys, and all that. Like, fuck that. It, that sucks. But hey, if it if it gets me to Diabotical, that's a good thing about Diabotical. It says a lot about the game in general that we're willing to go through all that trouble to play this game. Yeah, yeah dude. we spent so much time yesterday fucking <laughs> trying to set this thing up. And, but we, we knew that, okay, we, we're going to get our game in and have fun. Yeah. No, I'm curious from a you know, high-level player of your stature, like, what are some of the yeah. things that, that you've observed like hitbox-wise or just in general about the weapons and things that are kind of on your mind that you'll be looking for? Kind of hard for me to make that point, especially since, you know, I've only, I, I haven't played much. And when I have, it was mostly like Rocket Arena with your thumb. Mm -hmm. I only got to play a few minutes, give or take, of the Arena game mode. Um, but the weapons do feel very good. And I do feel that the Eggbots, it kind of reminds me, if you ever played Kovacs Aim Trainer, Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of playing that, 
And I think that's actually a very good aspect of this game that maybe it could kind of like become this niche game that, you know, like competitive FPS gamers from other games play in order to, you know, train their aim or their general combat abilities. And I think that's definitely like a market niche that it could fill in. But the weapons, they do feel very good um, from the rocket launcher, which, you know, I know some people are not completely satisfied with the weapon sounds, but so far I've really been enjoying it. The LG feels great. Um, the rocket launcher also feels very consistent. The shotgun feels powerful. It reminds me a bit of like the, what's it called? The flank weapon from UT? Yeah. The flank weapon. Yeah, yeah. Definitely has a very good uh, shotgun. Flank. Flat, flat. Yeah, yeah. I think the real gun is a bit too weak at the moment. The 60, 70, 80. I think they need to, uh, you know, increase the damage a bit. But, but can, I, can I ask you about that? Because you're saying that from the Quake perspective. In the game modes that you played, did you feel like it was too low? A bit, yeah. I okay. felt it's a bit uh, unusable with the, at least with 60, 70 damage. I think it's a bit too low. I think you need the railgun to be at around 80, 90 for it to be more viable. I think even in Reflex, uh, when they set it to 80, but with like longer reload time, the, the railgun didn't really play as much of a vital role as it did in Quake 3 or even uh, CPMA, uh, CPM. But overall, the feeling is very good, I would say. I think uh, if I can interject there, you're primarily a dual player, as am I. And yeah. I feel like this is something that has been a, I don't even call it an issue necessarily, just a, a fact of life throughout the history of Quake and especially recently with Quake Champions. Mm-hmm. The people, the weapons are all balanced in, in, in an effort to make dual as perfect as it can be. And then the other game modes kind of have to like work around that. So, mm-hmm. In duel, I think it serves to have a super powerful railgun, like an 80, 90 damage railgun. Yeah, for sure. It's because you're constantly rotating items, you know, like you're, you're playing for the items in duel, essentially, yeah. and trying to do as much damage as you can in, in between them to corner your opponent and then take them out. Mm-hmm. I think the weaker railgun makes more sense in a, in a game mode like Wipeout mm. or, in, you know, or in CA because a lot of what you get in CA is just these insanely skilled movement players who just use railgun. They only play with yeah. a railgun and they just wipe the floor with you because that's, they're good at that. I think that this um, nerfing of it, at least it, maybe they change it in duel. Maybe they like, at, you know, scale it to the mode. I'm not sure. Yeah. But right now for, if you're balancing the game towards wipeout, I think it makes sense to have a weaker rail railgun like this. And the concept is cool that, like, it goes up in damage with more shots that you hit. And mm-hmm. I think I heard somewhere that, like, if you hit three shots, you get, like, a rail jump function after that. I'm not sure if this is verified. I heard it on some stream. But that idea is also very cool because I guess it would allow you to use the rail in a more aggressive manner and not just as a very, like, defensive weapon. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I I agree with you completely, Tay. And... This goes back to what I said about the confidence I have in their game design decision. This is one of them. I think I didn't know about this. And then Alon told me this when we were playing yesterday. And I was immediately like, my brain was, oh, shit. They did it. They, they're trying new stuff. And I think they figured stuff out from all the playtesting. For me, it feels good immediately. 
I could be yeah. wrong about how it will play out, you know, after the meta changes and people know the maps and whatever. But I think they know what they're doing with their game design. I, th I really think so. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I don't know what Too Good uh, is doing in that process, but I have a feeling it has a heavy influence. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting take because they're not trying to, uh, we, we keep using the word Quake clone. I don't think they're trying to make a Quake clone. I think they're trying to take the best aspects from an objective point of view of all of or in arena shooters in general and balance them into one kind of cohesive experience. We, we have a dodge mechanic same, similar to UT. We have, mm -hmm. you know, we have rocket jumping and, and VQ3 movement similar to Quake. Like, it's it's not by mistake. That's These guys are thinking about what, do, what things do I like and not like about these different games that we can implement, you know, and make into one big hodgepodge that will work for everybody. And also we're seeing the Weebles, which are, I hate saying that word, it just sounds childish, but whatever, call it whatever you want. The, it's, the, it's so British to call yeah. something Weebles, I have to say that. Yeah. It's the balls you throw? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Pokeballs, you know, you, you throw them out and smoke screen, wheezing comes out and makes a smoke screen. Yeah. And, uh, but I think that's going to be an interesting part of the gameplay too. And I, I struggled with that when I first started. I was like, I'm not used to this. It's not quite on the level of like an ability in quake champions or anything but it does fundamentally change gameplay especially in in ca when you have like a heal ability that you can kind of hey i'm throwing down my heal and then everybody has to gang around it you know and try to heal but also it gives away your location if you throw it behind a corner you still see the bubble and then people will rush that area yeah that for sure is a cool function i'm not as sure about the other weebles like i don't even the purple one for example i haven't really completely understood what it does yet but the healing function in wipeout is is very cool and yeah. uh and it adds just enough depth to to a game like ca that it doesn't overcomplicate it and it's still you know simple enough for new players and still adds a new um you know mechanism to it that develops you know helps it evolve yeah. so I, I think it is a very cool feature too it's also used right now as like a blue shell mechanism it's something that helps you either uh, uh, remain uh, like gain a, a lead on someone that's uh, in front of you uh, i think mm -hmm. if you die you get one something like that so it's yeah. it's kind of like a blue shell mechanic that helps you uh, stay in the game so with all that said though uh big guy guy talked recently about you know arena israel and what we're, our plans are for that in the future and how you're gonna potentially try to put on some tournaments or but with this game does it change kind of your perspective on what to prioritize well first thing you see is people are uh active in discord again yeah. there's a complete silence and then people are like interested and we played a little bit so there's something to to do there uh I'll start by saying, you know, our community is really small. Um, How many people exactly? Uh, it's hard to really say. I would say active around uh, uh, 10 maybe, but we're not really uh, playing together. There's more players, but they're out there. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it does change uh, plans a little bit. Not, not, not change, but add some stuff. I think... Uh, we were pretty inactive uh, uh, last year. In uh, 2008, we did uh, uh, like three tournaments. One of them was open to European players, and there was cash prize that we uh, offered. That was awesome. But last year, we weren't really active. I think this year, we will more like focus on maybe uh, building the community and having like weekly or monthly get-togethers where you 
in a land settings where you, you play sort of like a dojo or whatever you want to call it. I think that's a it's kind of similar to the way the keep works is we're we try to allow anyone you know come join as long as you're not an asshole. That's the biggest thing is I really can't, I'm not dealing with assholes or you know yeah. who are. It's it's very common in the culture to kind of dismiss players who suck, but the fa- vast majority of the time it's like they suck because they're new and they don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing. And people are like, oh, this guy sucks. Let's kick him out of our lobby. I'm like, no, you need to take that guy under your wing, whoever it is, as long yeah. as they're not you know being a troll and just do everything you can to make them want to continue to play because that, that every single person who joins and gets kicked from a party and never picks the game up again is a detriment to us. It, it will only hurt our genre in the future if we don't embrace new people playing the game. And, you know, give assholes a second chance too, I think. Don't be <laughs> so quick too. to dismiss them, yeah. Because, you know, they could end up being cool people in the end. For sure. Are you saying that as a former asshole? No, I was actually always a very... Uh, well-mannered player i think i just i mostly rage at myself not the other people but yeah yeah i mean i've i've known some people who like at first you know the first few times i played against them i thought oh god what an asshole and you know eventually within time i actually developed uh, good relationships with them and we eventually became you know online buddies cool whatever amount of time it was so yeah just not be so quick to rule people out i agree I really think that we'll we we stand to gain a lot by like embracing the, the game in general. Like Diabolical will definitely bring a lot of new people in, and even if they you know, they start off playing Diabolical and then they find out like oh well, you guys play you know Quake Live or you guys play Warfork or what other you know they might have never even heard of a lot of these games. And yeah, for sure. They they may end up finding a game that's perfect for them even if Diabolical isn't. So I'm interested to see how you guys uh, leverage that to the benefit of arena or it arena israel yeah we'll see i don't think it's gotten like traction yet from people from diabolical who know about arena israel right it's just like the community that's already existed existing yeah. is uh playing more diabolical now so it kind of revived yeah. it to a degree yeah our, our community uh, it started more or less from a facebook page um mm. it was you know Facebook kind of changed in the last five years, but there was this group called Quake Israel, and I got on it because I, I wanted to play Quake again, and I didn't have people to play with, and I uh, started a Rocket Arena server, and I wanted people to play, so I found this uh, group, and I posted there. And then I found people that I played with well, maybe like 10 years ago in that group, and all those other people that I know from the community from way back in the day, and something happened where this person, I don't remember his name, it doesn't matter, uh, flooded a group. He just invited all his friends and families and aunts to this group. And then he started posting spam about the songs that he, he basically sabotaged this group to oblivion. <laughs> and, and that was the only relic kind of left from the Quake community in Israel. And it had like, from my perspective, Israeli Quake Legends, people that died already, and that group was important to me. And what happened was, from all that spamming, people left, and, and, and it kind of uh, thinned down. And then mm-hmm. the person that was admin gave me the adminship and left the group. 
And I started cleaning it up. I made some changes. I kicked that person, of course, and all his aunts and stuff. And we started like talking about, okay, we're playing quick champions. What are we going to do? And, and we, uh, from there, grew to a, a Discord group, and we ran the tournaments, and we all like put uh, Israel flags on our Quake Champions uh, flag pack. And anyone that is from Israel, uh, we kind of ch- try to recruit him. That was double-edged swords because you go there finding uh, other Israelis uh, to play with, or uh, and and then you get like anti-Semitic shit because you have yeah, an yeah. Israeli flag. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of grew from that. That's the the, the basic history of it. And uh, we 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 had some T-shirts and stuff like that with the tournament. Didn't really like pan out amazing, uh, but we had fun and we learned a lot of stuff. We streamed on Twitch tournaments. It was a good time. Yeah. I'll just add that I used to play a bit in like the old Quake Three Israeli community, which had actually at some point a decent size. I mean, there were you know. Probably at the beginning, you know, at the early 2000s, probably hundreds of uh, Quake 3 players in Israel. And, you know, I started playing a bit later, but there was still some of that community left. And it was very interesting. It kind of got uh, broken down. There was like the Russian Israelis, so they had their own section. And then you had these Charkessian dudes from like up north, from Kfarkasim, and they had, you know, Another like seven, eight players, and they had their own little community. Um, and yeah, it was actually like uh, we used to sometimes like play TDM against them. And uh, I remember they had this clan called SS to kind of like piss off the, the Jewish uh, Israeli community. And uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure everyone understands the reference of the SS, or maybe they do. A Nazi, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Super smooth. Super smooth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super smooth, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was uh, good times. It felt very. Uh, it didn't feel. Um, what's the word? The Israeli Quake community uh, definitely had a lot of faces. You had great players like Alien, who died of a car crash back in the day, mm-hmm. and you had one dude who moved to the U.S. to pursue a pro Quake Three career back really? in the early 2000s. Yeah. What was that? What was his um, I forgot his name, but I was talking with Raced, who is a Turkish Quake 3 player who also lived in the U.S. for a bit and used to play in like the early competitive uh, North American CTF scene. And I know he was a part of that, that Israeli dude. And he used to actually have quite a few skilled players. And also with uh, a lot of Russians immigrated into Israel over the last 10, 20 years. And, you know, with them came a lot of great, um, you know, ex-Quake players from, you know, the Soviet countries. Yeah, it's, it's basically their, their billiard halls is the, the Quake lands. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember I tried to, like, kind of revive the Quake community when Quake Live came out and kind of get everyone to switch from Quake 3 to Quake Live. But it was very difficult because we didn't have local servers for Quake Live. And um, connections have improved recently, but back then, you know, you were lucky if you got 80, 90 ping to a European server. And I actually talked with uh, people from id Software quite a bit, try to get like a master Israeli server up. Um, but that unfortunately wasn't a big success. But yeah, the Israeli Quake community, it's, a, it's an interesting story that I think has yet to be told, you know? Yeah. I, I was out of, st- out of Israel for all of that, I think. I mm. came back 2014. Yeah. 
You were studying abroad in what, Australia at that point, or um, yeah, that too. I was uh, out of the country. Uh, I worked in cruise ships for a little bit, and then I went to Australia. Yeah. So with all that that we've just laid out, I, I do want to kind of maybe this is not the most appropriate way to approach it, but I'm wondering since you're calling it, you know, Arena Israel. Does that exclude players from other, you know, countries from participating? In- uh, that's a very good point, and yeah. uh, I've been really thinking about that because I feel like that name is limiting. Um, and again, it, it was uh, is is be- the history of it is because of the Facebook Facebook group, not really as something that we really put thought to. Uh, of course, you know, uh, none of us are, like, uh, against any uh, uh, any players from other countries. We had uh, uh, we had uh, players from Europe. Uh, uh, and I think I even wrote a Reddit post on our tournament, on one of the tournaments, and I, I specifically said that anyone is invited from the Palestinian, Palestinian territories and stuff like that. Uh, I really don't give a shit where you're from, what's your ideology. If you want to play a game with me, we can play games. If we can become friends from playing games, that's awesome. But let's just play. I don't care. Yeah, it's like ga- gaming without borders is kind of nice. That might end the conflict there. Just like, hey, we all play games together. I'm not going to fucking cheat that guy. It's great. He's my buddy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like, I made a lot of friends playing Quake in Israel from, you know, like different uh, social and, you know, uh, racial backgrounds that I would probably never get to interact with be it yeah. otherwise you know with a bunch of Cherkessians from fucking Falkama who all ended up being really cool people yeah. and I even passed by there one day and said hi to a few of them but um, yeah that for sure was a, a unique and interesting facet about the Israeli Quake community I do think it makes sense to do tournaments that are only relevant to Israeli players especially if you're trying to you know uh, form a strong local community. So I think it makes sense to, you know, make things that are only for uh, the local player base. But yeah, I mean, it definitely is a fair question to ask. So with that said, when you when you guys do inevitably plan another event, are you going to kind of just like, hey, this is an Israeli... Or would you maybe do like Israeli-only events and then also like another event that's like open to... No, I think I think we, we're we're gonna do uh, some sort of uh, rebranding, either to something really generic or to something that is uh, really clear on who's uh, involved. Uh, Facebook face- page is a Facebook page. I don't care running a page that's only for uh, uh, Israelis, but the tournaments and activities. Uh, I want to make sure everyone is uh, feels welcome. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's still the news. I, I don't really know, like, what are we going to do, but it's definitely something we're thinking about. And yeah. if we are going to go again and, and be, like, active, then we're going to do some changes uh, with that, I think. Uh, specifically, the, the what, what I'm looking at is uh, when we did the last big tournament that we did, uh, it's, it was kind of before uh, what's... Um, What's the name? Rocket Jump Arena, right? You know Rocket Jump Arena, uh, Ty? Yeah, yeah. It was before they started, and when they started, it really made sense to me. that Rocket they, Jump Zone. Rocket Jump Zone, sorry. It, uh, and I participated in their tournament, and they're doing it really actively. 
And it really made sense to me that, yeah, they're doing it for European players. We should do it for European players. The only issue is technically there's no Middle East server. So, like, why should we do anything Middle East when we're actually playing a European server? Let's just do a European thing. And Middle Eastern players, you know, come along. I think it's interesting because back in the day, ping was a very limited limiting factor and then you know it's the Koi like, community had to kind of you know um be this kind of like microcosmos within an already niche game but nowadays when we're able to get much better ping to european servers it definitely you know yeah. opens up the possibility similar to fighting games you know yeah. they can't play online they gotta meet up mm. really strong communities yeah Okay, guys. Well, do you have any like plugs or social media things that you'd like to get out before we wrap this up? Well, you can follow Arena Israel on Facebook. I <laughs> post there sometimes. We will keep people updated. We post some memes and uh, and some other stuff. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, I guess. Wilson Yotam, or just search for Big Eye Guy. I'm trying to get into the the whole. Uh, uh, boomer shooter community i really like what's going on there um what wow, that's oh I'll, I'll i'll use this chance to say thanks to uh zero zero four from uh from id for hooking us up with a uh, quick uh challenger league helping us open the challenger league for uh, israeli players he really responded quickly for uh, our requests and helped us there that was super cool of him to do that, as a matter of yeah. fact. I forgot that you told me he did that. No? Anything? You got, you got, no, you got Twitter? I don't have it.